0: Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible thanks to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch.
1: And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, Marriott specialist, <laughs> yes, Amy are. Board, reminding <laughs> you to speak to a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions.
0: You are a Marriott specialist. We're are-
1: in a Marriott right now, everyone. We're in
0: the Marriott I'm River Center. I'm wearing a lanyard. You are. An orange (laughs) lanyard, which means maybe I'm good with contact. Maybe I want some social distance because that's a part of what we're doing here, which is being a part of HFA's 2022 symposium, which involves lanyards that have some color coordination as to help people know if they can touch other people.
1: I just chose the orange because of the Denver Bronco colors and like I just automatically choose orange. I also 100% believe
0: you, but I actually 100% believe you that it was more motivated by your Denver Broncos love (laughs) than anything to do with health and safety. Yeah. And I respect that. Uh, we're here. We're in San Antonio, Texas. We're at the Marriott River Center, which I learned the hard way is different than the Marriott River Walk.
1: Same. (laughs) Did your Uber take you to the, our Uber took us to the wrong hotel? Oh no, my feet
0: did it. I just walked into the wrong hotel (laughs) and people were coming in as, they were leaving as I walked in so I didn't have to use my key. I got onto an elevator somehow. (gasps) I've done this in other places as well, where I'm on the the 14th floor and I was like, there's not, my room number isn't on this floor. Where's my room number? And so I had to, and I realized, oh no, I'm in the hotel across the street. And they were like, oh, you're in the river center. And I was like, oh, this is the River Walk.
1: Let me tell you, that happens a lot. There are different Marriottes all in the same city block in so many cities. I just want to, like, know what was behind that.
0: Marriott, could you maybe do a little more Where You've got different brands. Could we maybe do a little more to differentiate <laughs> one hotel from another? But that is not why we are here. No. Uh, though we are here in a Marriott. But we are in San Antonio for HFA Symposium. You know that we've been previewing this for a few weeks. And we've had a few amazing conversations uh, today, you're going to hear our conversation with Adar Cohen, who's the keynote speaker. We're recording this on Thursday, the 21st. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this episode is going to come out tomorrow. Adar's keynote is in like a couple of hours. So we haven't heard it yet. No one has. By the time you hear this episode, it'll be out. But when we speak to Adar in the interview you're about to hear, uh, you'll just note that we haven't heard his keynote yet. But my goodness, we got, I think, an amazing sneak oh, preview from him.
1: my goodness. I, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't know. Make it a big deal, but I loved my conversation with him yesterday. Our conversation—I to say—you were there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh wow, okay, no, sorry. I mean, we do take some of these, you know, solo. But I was—I was three inches from your right shoulder. <laughs>
1: Brutal, everyone. Brutal listeners. Brutal. Uh, we were both together, but no, he was great. He was—he's absolutely wonderful, and you're going to get a great listen today. What
0: struck you? What? What? Like what? So moved you about the conversation?
1: Well, I think you know, his whole life's work has been around. Difficult conversations and conflict resolution, mm-hmm. and that is fascinating to me. As a child of a counselor, a marriage counselor, and of course, and my dad's, you know, done that for over forty, almost fifty years. And growing up in that, I never heard the words conflict resolution, but relational, um, you know, conversations. You know, kind of leaning into those bigger, difficult conversations has been something that I've you know, at least had an idea about since I was a kid. And so sure, to hear yeah. him speak in this way, to have studied it, and then I think to, uh, he just had a different way of framing things that I really respected. Um, so he I built think guys, his
0: own degree in I college. Knew. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. Uh, so that's coming up in just a few moments and will be the majority of this episode. We previously said we'd have both him and Xander Masser, the other keynote speaker on today's episode, but Amy and I huddled up with our team here. We got the whole, we got the Bloodstream know, team in the room.
1: Team, We
0: got Keith in the room, James is in the room, Jose and Rob. Rob is staring at his computer very diligently. He's probably doing something really important right now, but he is in the room. Everybody's here. Uh, but we had a little huddle up. The interviews were so good and rich that we didn't want to cut them down yeah. into half their size, but at the same time, we didn't want to send you a two and a half hour episode. So you'll have a Adar on this episode as well as our Let's Talk segment, the first in this new season from Joshua Sterling Bragg, made possible thanks to our partner on that, Sanofi, shout out to Sanofi. Uh, And next week, we're going to have another pop-up episode because, you know, we are every other week except also whenever else we want to do an episode. So there'll be an episode on the 29th of April. uh, That will feature the conversation with Xander and and a little bit of other stuff. So a dar in a little while. And then after that, we'll have the Let's Talk segment with Josh, again, made possible by Sanofi. And, of course, dear listeners, the Bloodstream podcast in general is made possible thanks to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Amy? What? Takeda's got this website. I knew it. Bleedingdisorders.com. Yes. Where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. That website one more time is bleedingdisorders.com for wherever on the journey you may be, bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. Uh, a dark Cohen. He is a mediator. He has led conversations in conflict zones, family rooms, yes, and other places <laughs> where people thing. can say the <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Just wanted to make that clear. It's the same thing.
0: Northern Ireland and Ireland. The family room. <laughs> same level of strife.
1: Same level of stress.
0: Uh, but as he puts it, and he has led these conversations in other places where people can save the world. He'll mm. he'll share more about his worldview in just a few minutes. His work's been featured by the New York Times, TED, TED Ideas, MSNBC, and beyond. He's got a bunch of other interesting credits to his name that come up across our conversation. So without further delay, let's get to that conversation. This was Amy and my We did it together. We did it together. two of us there the whole time. Me
1: bad, my bad, my bad.
0: With a dark Owen. All right, Amy and I are now joined by one of the keynote speakers of HFA Symposium. His name is Adar Cohen. Adar, welcome. Thanks for joining us here on Bloodstream. Thank you, Patrick. Happy to be here. Hi, Amy.
1: Hello. We're so hey. excited you're here.
0: Thank you. So I really enjoyed listening to your TEDx speech and doing a little bit of reading on you to prepare for this conversation. It's also interesting to me that your keynote is happening tomorrow. So it has not happened yet. So we don't have the benefit. We have the excitement of it of anticipating it. But not the right. benefit of what actually is going to be said listeners will hear this after it's taken place. So we won't spend too much time on previewing it because it's already happened, but can you give us the gist of what is your keynote about?
2: I'm interested uh, in I, my, my core belief, the belief that drives all of my work in the world is that there's nothing that influences our future more than conversations and I'm not talking about the mundane ones, and I'm not even really talking about the most pleasant ones. I'm talking about the difficult ones, the mm. ones we avoid. Yeah. Whether or not we're willing to have those and then how we have them, I think says everything about who we are as individuals, as families, as organizations, as communities. Uh, and even more than saying who we are, I think how we uh, approach and deal with and work through difficult conversations says a lot about who we're becoming and what we're becoming. Hmm. Um, So for me, you know, being at the table with people as they tend to difficult, complicated, awkward, uncomfortable issues, it's a, it's a privilege for me because I think it's really important work. And I keep learning from people as they, uh, as they show me um, some of the ways to do that gracefully and effectively and sustainably. Um, so, yeah, the talk will be about difficult conversations and how we how we keep, continue to come together rather than to move apart.
0: Give our audience a little bit of your experience with difficult conversations, because you've been a part of difficult conversations in some pretty unique and stressful environments.
2: I, I, I have. Um, going back to the beginning of my career, I, I worked um, in uh, conflict resolution in an international uh, way. Uh, in Northern Ireland, um, in the Middle East. I've also done work with um, law enforcement and gangs, um, labor and management, um, uh, and also family mediation. Sometimes the most profound and the most painful um, division and uh, conflict happens inside of families Hmm. for obvious reasons. Sure, sure. Um, families working out of estrangement or trying to process some great transformation that they've experienced. It's hard. It's emotional. Um, So I do a lot of different work um, with people and organizations and groups um, in different stages of transition, transformation, and sometimes crisis.
0: And where did this start? Where did this interest in conflict resolution come from,
2: Patrick? I should have a good answer to that by now. <laughs> the truth is that right. The truth is that it's it's you know it's not easy for me to say. I can tell you that um, I grew up in uh, in you know a, a working class household um, with uh, you know my my grandparents on one side are are refugees. Hmm. Um, they they fled Iran for Israel. Uh, on that side of my family where we are Persian Jews. Hmm. Uh, on the other side of my family, of um, uh, Danish extraction um, okay. from New Hampshire by way of Nova Scotia. Hmm. Um, and my parents, uh, you know in, in, and in my house, there was just a lot represented. So Persian, Jewish, Danish, rural, um, you know, I'm the first in my family to go to college. There was there was a lot going on in my in my house that my sense was wasn't really going on in some of my friends' houses growing up.
0: Interesting. I Grew up sure. in
2: rural New Hampshire, uh, and so hmm. I was. Um, you know, there were um, relatives from the Middle East coming often, and our house was sort of a haven for um, the small number of Afghani's and. Persians and other Middle Easterners who were in New Hampshire, you know, our Thanksgiving dinner was, looked like a, a a subcommittee of the United Nations.
0: Interesting.
2: And so I was just party to a lot of really, um, dynamic Mm -hmm. and, um, I think, I think valuable conversations from, from a young age. Yes. And so I think I absorbed a lot of that and, and had a lot of questions about, um, you know, about what all, what all of that meant. Um, and I wouldn't have, and so, you know, coming up in high school, it wasn't a given for me that I would go to college. That wasn't my plan. It wasn't something that my parents had done.
0: What was your plan?
2: My plan was to go into the, uh, family business with my dad, which is what, uh, restoration and repair of hand woven, uh, oriental carpets wow so we'd be we, having a whole nother kind of conversation yeah, that's right a, now yeah that would be a different which yeah. is also a great great conversation i love rugs a, a lot more than most, most of the next yeah uh, <laughs> i um, would imagine we could have a longer
0: conversation about <laughs> rugs yeah, we'll than most guests
2: that's the right. yeah we'll for do rug that special, so yeah, for i'll tell you about the 1920s version serapi with <laughs> hand-spun wool and vegetable dyes that um but i think you know, so that was my, that was my path. And it was a, it was really, it was a couple of high school teachers who caught wind of that and stepped in my way and said, Hey, listen, you, um, this isn't going to fly. You've got to rethink this.
0: Because they saw something in you.
2: I guess so. I mean, I, I was, um, yeah, I, I I had questions, mm-hmm. you know, and I think when you're curious and you have questions, this gets back to conflict resolution, mm-hmm. Um, and even when you don't feel immediately curious, can you find a way to curiosity and inquiry? Mm. Um, they, uh, you know, I think I went to college, it turns out. And, um, and that was, uh, once I got there, I realized, wow, a lot of these concerns I've had and, and wonderings about, um, how, how is it that people can sometimes successfully talk and connect across great difference? Yeah. Mm. That is so special. Yeah. Um, how how come sometimes it works and how come sometimes it doesn't? And why does it sometimes go so horribly bad when it doesn't? Mm-hmm. And is there a is there a world in which I could do that? You know, that became a that that's how it started. So was
0: it the yeah. end of high school then? Is it when you were asking yourself, is there a world where I could play a role in this in some way? Does that, is that the end of high school for you?
2: It's, it's really the beginning of college, I think. Okay. And the, the realization that, oh, there's actually, you know, you can, you can do this for a living. Um, and my college, which was, uh, wonderful for me in, in, in every way, really, I got so much support there. Wheaton college in Massachusetts, very, very special. Got it. Okay. Um, uh, very special place for me. uh there wasn't a conflict resolution major but they let me design one they let me build one wow with the help of four different departments and the the chairs of those departments really meeting me where i was and trying to create an interdisciplinary major that i could you know build and then pursue good for them that's how i so i graduated with a uh a bachelor's degree in conflict resolution.
0: So, and you're the first graduate of Wheaton College with this degree, I would imagine? Actually,
2: there was one um, uh, several years before me who actually designed, not a, not quite the same one, but something similar that had to do with interfaith dialogue. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you can see Wheaton's openness to fostering yes. students' and I curiosity. That's curiosity. Certainly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's so great.
0: Now Trinity College in Dublin is what you liked college so much. You decided to do extra. You have a PhD from yeah. Trinity College in Dublin, if I'm not mistaken in that's conflict right. resolution. Yes, that's right. Why Trinity College?
2: Why Dublin? Why Ireland? Uh, well, the the faculty Trinity is a wonderful university, um, but really it's the Irish school of ecumenics, a school within Trinity that um, has a rich tradition in mediation, conflict resolution, um ecumenical dialogue interfaith dialogue is that what what does ecumenical mean ecumenical means you know sort of exchange and talk across sects and oh, faiths okay. good word yeah i learned a great word just now <laughs> yeah, okay a great word um and many of the faculty members in that program at trinity had you know had been um involved in the good friday peace process that brought uh that brought really one of the most successful peace agreements are we, we know of mm-hmm. in history to, to the Island of Ireland. And, um, it was a huge, I mean, what a privilege to study under them. And also I had the support of a, a wonderful scholarship that supported me in being able to complete those studies and Got it. Um, the Mitchell scholarship, which is uh, just a really uh, fabulous program that supports, um, Ten or ten or so um, U.S. students each year to go and study with a lot of support um, at any university uh, on the island of Ireland.
0: Wow, that's really neat. Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit to talking about what's brought Adar to HFA Symposium. Before I do that, I do want to ask you about the rules that guide the big conversations we have to have. So yeah. I'm I'm really intrigued by your core belief, I suppose, Then mm. there are these, these necessary conversations. How do we approach them? What? How do we think about them? If I'm in it, does that mean I have to lead it? If I'm leading it, what's helping me guide that?
2: Mm.
0: How do you answer these questions? Mm. How do we approach the biggest, most necessary, but often so difficult mm-hmm. conversations? And you alluded yeah.
1: before we began that these shift all the time, which I just think is such mm. a beautiful... I don't. I, I trust your thoughts and your um, opinions because they move so much because you don't have mm. anything concrete. So I'd wonder if you speak to that as well. It's Thank really you. Great.
2: Yeah, I, I I would be happy to. I think anytime you hear like here, yeah, these are the three simple rules. Too right. <laughs> I was gonna you, make a bit, but I didn't want to. No, we should be <laughs> skeptical. We should be. I am. Yeah. yeah. And so anytime people uh, ask me to do it, um, and you know that's just what a TED talk does is you're supposed to distill it down to like right. the. Here are the three things you should never do when your boss is whatever. And right. yeah, it, great that it's inviting and engages people. Uh, but I do think it's important to stay um, open to how these things evolve and shift. The world is changing so rapidly. Yes. So I. So I mind though <laughs> with that disclaimer out of the way. <laughs> I, right now, I'm working with uh, here are four reminders for people whether they're trying to. Um, Sit down for a difficult conversation at home with a loved one or um, with someone they haven't had contact with for a long time or with someone they work with every day at the office or someone that they serve in some kind of together in some civic capacity. Um, Four things to keep in mind. The first one is if you have a conflict or a difficult conversation you've been avoiding or that you know you need to have, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important to set the conversation apart. And what that looks like in 2022 is really to, to schedule it, to get mm-hmm. it on someone's calendar. Mm. And uh, this is important for a number of reasons. The first one is, it's and the most important, if if you know the conversation is volatile or uncertain or risky, better to start from a calm and steady place rather than that day where in the heat of the moment, it finally spills over and you end up talking about it because you couldn't take it anymore mm-hmm. or someone lost their cool or something bad happened. That conversation never goes well. Mm. Um, so we, we set it apart. Schedule it in advance. Even Tell in the marriages?
1: Person,
2: even in marriages. Yeah. And now people ask me, like, isn't this awkward? This is so uncomfortable. You want to telegraph to the person and isn't there going to be a lot of dread and yeah. squeamishness and worry about yeah. this coming up? And yeah, that's not comfortable, but I still think it's better mm. than waiting for the conversation to just sneak up on you right. mm. and rarely go well in that way. So set it apart, give everyone a equal footing to know, okay, we're talking about it this day, this time, and choose the venue together. Everyone knows what to expect. Mm. Um, that's the first one. The second one is to come prepared with questions. First of all, questions, questions are how we, ourselves in a position of inquiry and curiosity even if we're not in a curious mood i
1: love that i do not do that i come prepared with my points you come
2: with your points and your grievances that you want to be heard on right and that's important you should be heard in your conversation but the way humans work is they're not really ready to listen deeply until they feel like they've been heard right but this is a catch-22 because both are feeling that way right so who's going to break the cycle? of not hearing and not listening and start the cycle of listening and hearing Mm. someone's got to do it. So I guess my call to action to people is like, go ahead and be that person. If you're not Mm. in an idealistic or generous mood about it, Mm -hmm. you don't feel like your person that you're thinking about right now, as I talk, most people have a difficult conversation. (laughs) You've already populated it. If you don't feel like they really deserve that, That's fine. Set, set aside the idealism or the generosity for them. And just remind yourself, this is your quickest route to being heard Mm. is to listen to the other person first. Mm. And the way to do that is to ask them open-ended questions. Mm. And every, you know, an open-ended question is one that isn't like answerable in a yes or a no. Right. Sure. Great. But it has to be open-ended in a special way. It can't be, you know, what were you thinking when you, you know, that's a, that's, We want the open-ended question to um, sincerely invite your counterpart to share their thoughts, their feelings, their hopes, their concerns.
0: What does the, what were you thinking when question, what does that do? Well, often,
2: well, what I meant, I should have said it with more of an edge in my voice. It's like the, um, what's Quisatory wrong with you? Kind of like, yeah. Yeah. like I had a, I had a client once, right? I was we were building the questions out before their conversation. And one of their questions was I really want to know is what is wrong with you? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, That's okay. not gonna do the but it's not gonna do the trick that right. we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. So um yeah, build those questions in advance mm-hmm. because sometimes people think, oh yeah, okay, I can ask the I can ask my person questions. Yeah, I can ask them some questions. And they expect to be able to come up with them on the spot yeah. in the moment, which is totally unreasonable. Yeah. Mm. It's not fair to themselves. Yeah, We can't. We're faced with that person. Everything starts to heat up and everything starts to speed up and really good, sincere, open-ended questions. They're not available in that environment. Mm. So we come up with them in advance and write them down and come with them on the paper or the screen. No problem. People say to me, like, isn't, that all, isn't that also sort of, well, that's weird gonna come with a list of questions it sort of feels canned or hokey and like not at all far from it Hmm. a person is gonna feel wow you you're telling me you put the forethought ahead of our conversation to write down the questions that you wanted to ask me so that i would have a chance to tell you what i'm concerned about or hoping for or afraid of it's a gift yeah Mm. and it's a gift to the asker too because then you don't have to ask from behind the eight ball Mm. You at, start asking those open-ended questions, and then you—this won't be a—this isn't a to shocker. You listen. Yeah. You listen to the answers. You don't listen for looking for a solution. You don't listen to refute. You don't listen through the lens of your own grievance. That's all going to come. Trust that that's later. Mm. First, you just listen more deeply and for a little bit longer than you'd like.
0: Mm. And what does that mean? That
2: means—that means as soon as you start to feel uncomfortable and feel like you know what, I'm giving away the whole shop here. This per- I'm I'm listening to everything that they're saying and they're not going to listen to me. And I'm listening and they think that I agree. They think that my listening is a scent. Mm, yeah. I've been in that position. It's not necessarily the case. You know, we can remind ourselves listening is a gift that we give to a person. It doesn't necessarily entail agreeing or buying mm-hmm. what they're selling. Yeah. It just means that we think that this other human being deserves to have their positions heard. That's not even well just said. positions, but their, their experiences. Right. Um, so
0: is that rule three, the, the listening piece?
2: Yeah, rule three is the listening. Yeah, listen for longer than you think. And if you do that, well, if you do that deeply enough, and if you can even find find it in yourself to ask a couple of follow-up questions mm. when they're deep in it, this is going to be when you least feel like asking them a follow-up question. Sure. Because you're going to be saturated by it but can you find some curiosity about what they're experiencing and ask just that one more question? Mm. And sort of why like, what's that follow up? What does that because do? Cause then they know that, that distinguishes for that. It's just a way to go deeper mm. and to show the person that there's true concern and curiosity. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, and then the person is going to feel heard and seen. Mm-hmm. And, and what will happen is something will come over them. I don't know what to call this yet, but mm. it's a kind of, and I mean, it's, it's unmistakable. It's like, oh, many of the muscles in the face relax at the same time. And the person almost looks like someone else. I've
0: had that experience. Have you? I've noticed when people open up sometimes
2: that almost instantaneously, their entire face just looks different. So that sounds related to what you're talking about. Exactly. It's like you go from like talking about taxes to asking a person about their pet. Yeah. Hmm. Right. The face is going to change a lot. It's yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> my dad calls it the heart softening. Oh. You know, like hmm. there's been something hard there. You know that you're trying to penetrate through, or there's a defense mechanism, and my dad will will say, you know, it's like a heart softening. It's
2: mm-hmm. really tender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's <laughs> so that's rule three. You listen. You listen for longer than you think you should, um, and then that moment hopefully will happen. Yeah. Hmm. And people think it's this magic stuff. It's 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 happening all the time in my work. I'm seeing it all the time. And it's a really wonderful thing when it does, because what will happen to that person who's just been given that gift of feeling heard is that something will come over them and they are now it's prime time. They are ready to listen to you Mm. in a way that they weren't before and in a way that they won't be 30 minutes from then. Mm. So you have a window. Um, And if the person doesn't naturally of their own volition say, Hey, you know what? Thank you for listening to me. You know, can I ask you, Mm -hmm. right? If they don't initiate themselves, which most people will, but that's okay if they don't, because there's this nice move where you can, the person who's been asking and generously listening sees that it's starting to work and can cue them can prompt them if they haven't done it themselves and say, Hey, I just want to say, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that you've shared with me. Um, it's been really meaningful for me to, to hear what is concerning you, what you're hoping for, whatever it is that they've shared. It's meaningful for me to listen. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it would be useful to you if I would also share mm. some of what I'm thinking about, right? Mm. And show me the person. On this planet who after, <laughs> after being heard in that deep and sustained way, mm-hmm. and then given that generous prompt, mm-hmm. isn't going to think, oh yeah, it's time for me to reciprocate. Right. right. And they're going to be reciprocating in that magic zone yeah, where they've, they've released the, their grip on narratives and positionality. They're so much more ready. To, ex- to really absorb what your experience has been and so then you can tell what's going on, you can answer some of their questions or you can you can go Amy to those grievances that you wanted to get out that you need to get out yeah. And I think there the, the reminder is m- see if you can prepare yourself before the conversation to figure out what are my top three yeah mm-hmm. what are my top three because I, I have a limited amount of time. I've yeah. already spent a lot of time listening
3: yeah
2: blood sugar, the clock, <laughs> things are working against us. Yeah. Let me not go up with numbers eight and nine right. yeah. on the list. That's not a good use of this magic time. Yeah. Stay in the top three. Yeah. Mm. We, where you really need to be heard. And then number four, rule four is silence. And it's the, mm. it's the it's can we embrace silence mm. um, for the asset that it is in difficult conversations? And this is counterintuitive. It goes against our it goes against our nature. I think it goes against our nervous system. When we encounter silence, um, you know, all around the world, there's a there's a tendency for people to tense up and assume the worst mm-hmm. about even the briefest pause. Mm. They're judging me. They don't like this. They have bad thoughts about me. This is awkward. This is tense. Awkward, 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 right? We're hypersensitive about silence. Yes. In fact, in my work as a mediator, I find that again and again, the best moments, breakthrough moments, moments where a person says, you know what? After years, maybe, you know what? The way I'm hearing this right now, and just things are, things are clicking for me in a new way. And I just want to say, I think I got some of this stuff wrong. Mm. And I think I want to say that I'm sorry. You know, that never happens in a fast moment, right. a fast mm. exchange. Right. That's always preceded by a pause. Right. A pause that feels a lot longer to the mediator right. or the other people at the table than it actually is. Yes. Right? Because we're so used to the tension. But silence is an asset, and good things happen after silence. So what I'm trying to remind people is not to squander that mm. and find a way to find a way to endure it if you can. Because good things can happen, especially if you've done any of these other first three steps, silence is your friend mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so the, yeah, the idea there is to just give people the time they need and see if you can calm yourself with it and see if you can project some kind of calm, even if you're not really feeling it yourself. Because I don't always, when I'm, in the, when I'm in the hot seat, if I'm working with people who are uh, at odds, um, oh, silence is tough.
1: Yeah. Silence
2: mm-hmm. is really tough. I stay with it because I know and I've seen what it can yield. Wow. Adar,
1: I have a question for you. Do, is everyone capable of this? Or are there some people that are just too self-centered to be able to do this?
2: <laughs> I, it's a good question, Amy. Good job, Amy. It's yeah, you you've asked the question that maybe a lot of people were thinking and that I think about frankly a lot because um and and I I continue to be an optimistic person and I think that I do think that everyone has this in them somewhere. Mm. And I think that some of the sometimes the people who, uh, for whom it's farthest away, they might be the ones who um, have the greatest needs mm. for listening and being heard, mm. and and at the same time, there there are sometimes people who make it hardest on others to sit and listen. Um, so, you know, I I don't know, um, I, I don't know. Probably not. Let's be real. Probably not. But I think the vast, vast majority are ready for this. Yeah. And, you know, I, I keep finding that even in really tough situations where, you know, there's, there's often one person who, you know, right. the group says, you know, that person's the problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> talk to everyone and they'll all say, tell you in some form or other. It's really, yeah. it's really that person. Um, you know, oftentimes in my work, I'll, I'm, I'm meeting one-on-one with everyone who's party to the, to the mediation process. And, you know, oftentimes they just need to be heard in a certain way or a new way, or they've been heard, people have been listening to them over and over again, but they just haven't found their way to acknowledge the fact that they, people are listening. It hasn't clicked, Hmm. finding a way to get it to click. Yeah. But the answer is, I don't know.
1: That's fair. (laughs) I just think as humans, we are built to relate. And so even if there are, you know, relationships or situations that might be difficult, I mean, I just think Mm -hmm. it's the just wonderful thing about, I mean, this is getting super sappy, but I think it's the most wonderful thing about humanity is this and pushing into this. So I just really respect your work. And I love the word curiosity. Yeah, I just, you know, I I don't know what it is, um, but that word is so... Intriguing and engaging to me to have curiosity about someone else. Mm. Um, I have another question. I have a follow up. Go for it. PJL. Um, you started this work years ago. I mean, I don't want to like age it, but you started this work years ago. What has it been like coming into this political disre- uh, like mm. unrest, I should mm. say, in our country? Mm. Um, coming, you know, here in the last, I don't know, a uh, little under a decade. What has that been like? What's that been like for your work? What have you noticed in families? Um, I'm just wondering if there's been a shift in your work and what you've seen. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I'm noticing um, uh, people are people are either low on patience, or they're or they're acting as though they are. Um, hmm. And there's it, it takes it takes great effort to create the conditions in which people w- are willing to um, do the work mm. of listening to one another because it isn't. It isn't effortless or mm. passive. It's really hard work mm. to listen to someone when when every every fiber of your being disagrees, or even finds what they're saying hurtful or or revolting. And uh, but it's the act of listening mm. through that
3: mm.
2: that actually brings us together. I, I think there's this I think there's this myth, and I think sometimes it's harmful. That conflicts can be resolved, which sounds like I'm kind of turning. The, just <laughs> Yeah, roll, wow, we went, up, we went this whole the whole way. Just <laughs> to hear you say that. All right, but it does. But let me explain. I think you know, sure, some of them can be, but the 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 ones that are worth their salt, they don't <laughs> get resolved. They they get dissolved mm. through listening. Mm you know people you can you can't go to the list of grievances and slights and hurts and offenses between let's say a divorcing couple it's too it's too immense mm. to ever go item by item and resolve each issue if those if that divorcing couple is trying to figure out you know we're separating but we we still want to we want to co-parent well together mm-hmm they don't need to resolve all of those issues. They need to essentially dissolve the conflict that would get in their way. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen by litigating every issue and trying to figure out like wins and losses, like, yeah, make two columns. No, it's to listen in such a way that all of that, that people can relax and lose their, lose the tight grip they have on those positions. And, um, and that, yeah, that that dissolution really happens through engagement and listening, which fosters empathy and curiosity right. and connectedness, even across great difference and disagreement. Right. Wow. I love
1: that thought of that it's not resolved, yeah. it's dissolved. Yeah. That's actually... That's, that's
0: a shift. Well, and what I like about a lot of what you're sharing, Adar, and, and we only have you for a, a few more minutes, but I do want to say before. I do, what Which is I a like,
1: bummer. I have like 17 more questions.
0: I know, but I, <laughs> I think that's Adar Cohen. You can check out his work online. There'll be links in the program notes. He's got a book. Tell, actually, tell us a little bit. Where I wrote down the title of it here. Why don't you tell us oh, a yeah. little bit about Jimmy Lee and James? Is that the correct
2: title? That's the title. Um, what's the book about? That's about two two um, civil rights activists who died two weeks apart from one another in 1965, during the push toward voting rights, Mm. uh, for African-Americans. And it's about the, their communities and the the foot soldiers of the civil rights movement and how they created a coalition that nonviolently, um, answered to a system of, you know, racial, um, racial domination and, subjugation and marginalization of African Americans in this country, mm. um, and achieved the right to vote. So it, it follows the, the efforts of uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson and James Reeb. Mm. um, It it isn't about mediation. Um, It's about people coming together to achieve something extraordinary for democracy and and doing that without the use of violence.
0: Mm. Well, and and speaking of that, to give you a moment to speak to this as well, you're a co-founder of the civic leadership foundation. The title gives a certain sense of what the mission may be, but would you mind sharing the mission?
2: Uh, Civic leadership foundation is, um, is a nonprofit based in Chicago uh, that works with um, young people, uh, who have the deck stacked against them Mm -hmm. uh, and, and many of whom are facing, you know, great difficulty just as, as young kids coming up. And the, the idea uh, of CLF civic leadership foundation is what if we created the space and the tools where they could experience themselves as leaders and their communities could experience the ideas and the passion and the hope and the concern that they have for their, neighbors um what would happen if you know classroom by classroom school by school neighborhood by neighborhood eventually city by city i hope uh young people are put in the in a leadership role and empowered to you know be the change that they hope mm-hmm. to see in the world that's an organization that i was involved in in getting started and, and worked with for for 15 years wow um, and i'm still um still closely involved in a and a and an avid supporter of their efforts. Um,
0: and did I read, is this correct, that there's over 25,000 young leaders who have been helped by the foundation?
2: That's true, over the over the last 15 years, and that number continues to climb.
0: That's imp- really, really impressive. So then I, l- lastly, with a couple of moments that we have remaining, what brought you to San Antonio for the Hemophilia Federation of America
2: Symposium? Great
1: question.
2: Took me a while to get there, but you know, I figured I should probably <laughs> we ask. We
1: got families, we teenagers. You can, <laughs> you can
2: ask, you can ask Sharon and Ann and Heather, um, all of whom, you know, they, they're, they have, they've become my partners in this work. We are, mm. we are learning together mm. how to, how to build and, and foster really good conversations mm. um, when it matters most. And, you know, I didn't. I didn't. I uh, didn't work with them in a mediation capacity, but in a sort of optimization capacity. We've got really big questions we need to answer. Um, there's A lot of people counting on the work that HFA does. Mm. Uh, how do we want to? How do we want to talk? And what do we want to talk about? And where do we want to go? Uh, those are big questions. So I've been a partner with them in in trying to ask and ask some of them.
0: Very cool. Well, I'll say too that from the sessions that I've attended so far, this is day one of symposium. There is this theme around the big conversations. Mm -hmm. How do we express? How do we listen to each other? How do we understand one another? So I'm imagining there'll be a, there's a nice runway to your keynote tomorrow and and a cohesiveness, it seems to the theme. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Amy to a point you made about the upheaval that um, feels as though it's a part of our, day-to-day societal existence to some degree. Uh, It just feels like the timing of this is excellent from my vantage point anyway. Mm -hmm. As Amy said, Adara, we could keep doing this for a long time, but we have things to get to. So we will release you back to the wild here in San Antonio, but not before saying thank you so much for being here. As someone with hemophilia, thank you for investing in our community and coming to this meeting to lead this discussion and encourage us to lead our own discussions where we need to. And I'm really looking forward to tomorrow.
2: Thank you both. It's been great talking with you, Amy and Patrick. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. You're welcome. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you again to Adar, who I also learned as soon as the microphones went off, Amy, you learned it too basketball fan.
1: Which is huge, as listeners know.
0: You know, uh, Patrick
1: was psyched.
0: NBA basketball equals yes. Taylor Swift <laughs> in terms of how <laughs> to relate to these podcast hosts you outside of bleeding disorders.
1: I, I mean, just, just small, I'm just going to get it in there. Uh, yep. You've talked about basketball with a lot of guests over the years with Thank you. Bloodstream, and I don't Thank think you. I've talked about Taylor Swift to anybody. Which you have seems-
0: opportunities every time the microphone is on. It's true, <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> or you're a more disciplined podcast host, yeah. Than we'll I am. I we'll did, have to debate none that of Our mind. guests
1: really strike me as Tay fans, but now I'm gonna start you to look for no, it. I don't know
0: until you ask.
1: It's fair, it's fair, I didn't and true, think that Adar fair. Cohen
0: was gonna be like, I need to get out of here to make it for tip off of the yes. next Celtics game, and then I was like, yes. Adar, I love you more. <laughs> I, I didn't know it was possible. Um, <laughs> a very cool figure. It was, uh, I'm so glad he's here, yes. and. Something that was very clear to me in talking with him, Amy, was the the theme of this conference, this Texas-sized family reunion, and having important conversations in our families, in our advocacy work, being a leader in those conversations. There's a consistency in the theme of this meeting that I want to acknowledge and and give uh, HFA a shout-out for, and I think Adar is no small part of that, so... Thank you again, Adar, for sharing. Check out his work. His TEDx is a really interesting 15-minute talk. He shares some things along the lines of what he shared today, of course, but there's a lot of different stuff in there too. So I'd recommend checking that out. And again, Jimmy Lee and James, the book, Civic Leadership Foundation, Adar Cohen. If you want to check out his website, there'll be a link in the program notes. Amy, what are we going into next? What are we
1: going into next? Let's talk. Let's talk, and we're excited because we're kicking off a second year and a fresh approach to the Let's Talk segment.
0: A fresh approach, a fresh approach indeed. Sorry, well, that's, the tongue, that's a lot. The tongue twister. It's a little early. It's yep. for me.
1: Let's talk is a partnership between Bloodstream Media and Sanofi, and it aims to create an environment where we can have open, honest conversations. About mental health in the bleeding disorders community. Adar would approve. I agree. I agree. Let's Talk strives to shine light on these topics that are often invisible and not spoken about in the community and shares tips on how we can care for you or a loved one's mental health. If you or someone you know has experienced feelings that have impacted your mental health, talk to your healthcare provider and find educational resources at let's talkmh.com. Santa Fe is a proud to sponsor this podcast segment because they believe that each of us has a story. Visit shareyourwhy.com to meet the Santa Fe core team and hear from them and members of the community about their story and passion for the hemophilia community. Now, let's get on with this week's Let's Talk segment.
4: I'm sick, I'm not dying, but whatever part of my brain tells me how to complain in the most dramatic of ways keeps telling me that I am. It's a chest cold. After two years of being cautious around COVID and working from home and masking when I should, I got very used to being well. And then last week I got some pretty serious carpal tunnel syndrome that I had to treat. And as soon as that went away, I got this chest cold and it has been miserable. I'm very much okay. Two vibrant orange Dayquil and auricula seem to handle most of the symptoms, but what they can't seem to brush under the medication rug is this feeling of mortality that lingers in every deep cough, every sore knuckle, in every tired sigh, runny nose, and watery eye. I can't seem to shake it. This awareness that this body is temporary and that someday I'm going to die. But some people I talked to recently say that's actually a good thing. Let's talk.
3: I'm Heather and I work as a death doula.
5: And I'm Carter. I own and run a small production studio in New York.
3: We were introduced while I was doing my death doula study and we both had had some significant loss in the months and year before we met. So I lost my dad in April of 2020 and Carter, lost his mom in April of 2019.
5: Yeah, 2019.
3: Yeah, Yeah. so it was an interesting thing to come together because he had some ideas and projects that he was working on related to footage with his mom. And then the fact that I was going through a death study and also was in the first few months of experiencing parental loss as well was a really interesting way for our friendship to develop because... A lot of stuff comes up when you're like, hey, let's talk about death in general. And then you're also simultaneously experiencing and processing very intimate loss that way.
4: I met Heather and Carter through a connection with E2AC, a nonprofit organization that helps out independent entertainment properties who are looking to affect change in the world. Their project is called Death Differently.
5: I think over the last six months, it's really taken shape to be To really focus on highlighting stories of individuals and organizations who are approaching death differently. People in spaces that are doing things maybe a little bit outside of that traditional path and highlighting people that are focusing on bringing death awareness earlier and how that can inform better living, more informed living, and choices about how we can uh, live our lives more fully with the knowledge that death is and in- inevitable and uh, a part of what we have to offer in b- being
4: born.
3: <laughs> I was going to say, and I have a mad delay, so I'm also going to do this.
4: Oh, right. Jessica was there, too, uh, in the same room as me. So we had to get creative with our headphones to deal with the echo.
3: When thinking about chronic illness and how often there is trauma and recovery, the idea of thinking about mortality comes up a bit more frequently than in like a 100% perfect health existence. So there is a sort of, if there's a gift in talking about death, chronic illness, there's a gift in the access point to talking about mortality. There's a lot of the way that I look at life and death is for my own personal self through a lens of like Buddhist philosophy, right? In those practices, you're meant to meditate on death once a day, every day, because there is a benefit, because there is a quickening of life when you are willing to talk about death. Even in, in the most difficult circumstances, there's usually some kind of medicine in that situation, right? So chronic illness, there is a benefit to having the idea of the mortality of your being in your awareness every day. Because the concept of perfectly well people who are not consciously thinking about death means they're likely not consciously thinking about the quality of their life in the same way and yeah i would say that there's a little bit more of a quality of being awake when you have to be present with your body in every moment versus not
4: i'm i'm terrified of that um because i i come from a place where i think i spent a lot of time in new york um contemplating you know when you're an artist you have these like big thoughts of like i want my work to have meaning and i want to have have it mean something once i'm gone And so those thoughts very quickly swirl into life is going too fast. I'm going to die too soon, you know, and, and I have experienced, especially as someone who also experiences, uh, seasonal depression periods of time where like the work slows down, life slows down, it's darker. And I'm just literally, I cannot stop thinking about death. So the last thing I want to do is to jump into a daily practice of recognizing death. But from someone who just took therapy for six months for the first time in their life, I understand how it can benefit me. So how does how does a person, how, how as a death doula or as people who work in this space, how do you encourage people to take that first step?
3: I think part of it is being willing to investigate your fear, right? Like curiosity is both one of the best tools that you can have to move forward with something, but it also acts as a shield to the difficult parts of something, right? Because when you're engaged in the space of asking questions, you don't have to know the answers, right? And so it's really fun kind of to explore your fear through that lens because you're like, what's gonna be around the next bend? It's a little bit like walking through a haunted house, you know, where it's like, you know something's gonna jump out and scare the shit out of you. And you kind of wanna see what the next thing is gonna be. (laughs) And, and that's very much what like meditation is, right? Like just being like, what's my mind gonna deliver to me around this next moment? And when you've given your mind a topic to let it sort of move around, it can reveal all of these interesting things. And to recognize that like none of us know, I've yet to meet anyone who survived death. So there is no one who knows what this is all going to be like. But if I can say like, what is it that I'm afraid of? Usually the first answer is this big block letter word, death. And then you're like, okay, well, what about that am I afraid of? Right? Is it the suffering? Is it an extended discomfort? Is it pain? Is it the unknown? Because you start to realize that underneath this umbrella of topics, there are all of these little tendrils of other things that have disguised themselves as this one massive topic. And... What's cool is that when you start to just pull one of those single threads, it starts to reveal to you, what am I doing or not doing in my daily life that either reinforces that fear or is keeping me from avoid, like making me avoid interacting with that? And sometimes what am I doing or not doing that's actually taking away the quality of life that I do have in this moment? And so that can be fun.
4: Yeah, that's, that's what I'm really curious about is because I I think people who live with chronic pain, people who live with a disorder that maybe because of the time that they were born, their medicine wasn't available to them until they were a little bit older. And so they have, you know, long lasting permanent joint problems. And then there are the the people from, you know, who lived through the 1980s who were infected through their medicine, and now live with HIV, uh, hepatitis and hemophilia. I feel like there's a lot of weight to that already. And I'm I'm really curious about like, again, I, and maybe it's just because I haven't been able to wrap my mind around it yet, but that idea of like, okay, I'm going to look at these darker things and that's going to cheer me up, you know, like that's going to have a positive effect. I don't know if I'm just asking the same question again, either. You know,
5: I find it interesting that we tend to want to lump all these things into one category of pain suffering, illness, dying, and death. And the caveat, I, I, I'm not a death professional. I've, I've just approached this from the perspective of someone who, who has had questions. And every single time that I've dived into conversations with people who are, are death professionals or who are um, struggling with long-term illness, with death being the inevitability at a maybe a quicker pace than, than what a healthy individual, quote unquote, would, would be dealing with. Uh, it's interesting to to tear apart where the where the where we lump things into uh, with each other. Pain is different than death and what we fear around death, and because we we tend to put them on this this one path that I'm sick, therefore therefore therefore, and then with inevitability of death. It's been interesting to tear apart and see what people's responses have been to separating the differences that they feel about their fears around pain and suffering and the physical body going through that awful experience versus the cessation of life and what that looks like from their perspective. Tearing apart those internal myths, at least for myself, has been interesting. And like Heather and I have had a long, long conversations around where, where these lines are for ourselves, where, where our fears lie with Pain, Because pain is something that I fear, that I do not want to experience that. But death is something that I have questions about that don't necessarily fall in line with pain and
4: suffering. We talked for over an hour with Heather and Carter, and this portion I've shared with you today barely scratches the surface of the conversation. But I think it's enough to chew on for right now. Death is scary. And Carter is right. We lump a lot of different feelings into that word and the feelings surrounding that word. I'm suffering a bit right now with this gosh darn chest cold, struggling to speak, my body feels weak and I have this weird neck pain from lying on one side too long to try and drain my left nostril enough to fall asleep for another 30 minutes, and the most pathetic part of my brain, the ultimate complainer hidden in the dark shadows, tends to whisper in times like these, you are going to die someday. And I violently push that thought away. Not me. Not this guy, but there's a danger in that. A lot of danger when you really get curious about it. Not accepting that death is a part of life, like Heather was saying, means that we aren't being present and aware of our current selves, our current bodies. It means we push away truth, and so for someone with high cholesterol, that might look like one more cheeseburger combo. For someone with a target joint in their elbow, it could mean one more basketball game or round of bowling. For some of us, it could mean one last drink at the end of the night. It could mean saying yes to a lot of things that are slowly but surely killing us day in and day out. It's dangerous to believe, like all of us tend to do, that we are going to live forever in these bodies. That aging is something that happens to everyone else but me, until I look in the mirror and I'm shocked that my beard is graying, because after all I'm still just 21, right? This season on Let's Talk, we're going to work our way from death to life. We're going to explore growth and adaptation, suffering and celebration, relationships, new experiences, and variations of the birth story. It's going to be a wild ride, but one that we will take together, and it will never get too scary, and we'll always leave with a sense of curiosity that keeps us asking these incredibly valuable questions about how we live, how we die, and what our minds are doing along the way. I'll be back next month, but you can dive deeper on the subject of death next episode as Jessica takes you down the well for a deeper look. Heather and Carter will be there as well. And if you want to get curious about their work between then and now, well,
3: there's there's an Instagram for our project. It's Death differently Doc. And then um, if people want to follow my work where I'm updating a lot about like philosophy on death and having conversations about that on Instagram, it's wisdom and sage. And um, if they want to follow the progress of our documentary or assist us in the fundraising, because we would love help, is uh, deathdifferently.org.
4: And for some wonderful mental health resources, check out letstalkmh.com resources. Thanks to Heather and Carter, Jessica for chiming in, and Patrick and Amy for giving me a place to talk about these things. Talking can be so healing. I'm climbing back in bed now to rest and secretly practice my movie trailer voice in a world where mental health matters. I'll see you next time.
0: Thank you, Josh, for another excellent Let's Talk segment. Visit letstalkmh.com to learn more about Let's Talk. You can also check out the Let's Talk page on the Bloodstream podcast page bloodstreammedia.com. Mm-hmm. And of course, thank you to Santa Fe for supporting. Let's talk. Share your why. Visit shareyourwhy.com to learn more. Uh, awesome having Adar on. Really happy to be at this conference. We're still here. We're here now. We're, We're still in this be Marriott. we here for a while. Like four months, I think, or something, right? How long <laughs> is the conference? Um, mm-hmm. Amy, what are listeners going to hear? Not in two weeks, but Next week.
1: Next week. In one week, we're still gonna be at HFA.
0: <laughs> at least in podcast form, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we'll still be at HFA. And we're going to hear from the other keynote speaker, Xander Masser. That's has, how he
0: prefers to be identified as by the, the other way. I, yeah, keynote speaker. That's what I, I asked him earlier. I was like, Do you like
1: this? And he's like, And that. he's like, No, I prefer the other keynote speaker. <laughs> <laughs> this one is incredible.
0: Yeah, that was an awesome conversation.
1: Uh, I'll, honestly, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> build it up too much, but it, an incredible story, and mm-hmm. he is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Xander Masser, and uh, he has a phenomenal um, exhibit and a book and uh, a talk and a workshop, actually. He has like all got of the things. a lot going on. Yeah. He's actually doing multiple things here at HFA. Um, his father had hemophilia and uh, passed away with AIDS, HIV, and he uncovered this treasure trove of photographs his that was father the
0: exact words that were in my head really yeah it's like treasure trove and you said treasure trove oh
1: my gosh his father was a professional photographer and um anyway he's going around the country sharing this exhibit and sharing the story of his father is extremely powerful yeah and you know i think it would be powerful um if he wasn't connected to the hemophilia community but having um this connection to the hemophilia community i think is just in terms of um, our conference and our conversation today. I mean, it was just really amazing.
0: So you'll hear that in one week. One week. Uh, we'll still be here at HFA and podcast form. Hear from Xander. still here, still at a
1: Marriott. You'll
0: <laughs> and then it'll be the week after that, you'll hear our journey to joint health panel and some of the voices from yes. that episode uh, or from that session, and that'll be in two weeks. But with that, <gasps> that is all for this episode. But a reminder to subscribe to the Bloodstream podcast wherever you listen and share this episode with friends, family, your postal worker, Mm -hmm. your DoorDash person, (laughs) anyone that you may interact with, although if you're a DoorDash, they may just drop it off at your door. Maybe you don't even interact. You could leave them a note, subscribe to Bloodstream. I don't know if it'll be effective, but if you haven't tried, it's worth a shot. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can even stream episodes directly from Facebook.
1: Amazing. How great is that? Order a guest that you're dying to hear from or if you want to inquire about storytelling or casting opportunities for Bloodstream's podcast or Believe Limited's films, email us at mailbag bloodstreammedia.com or connect with us on social media. You'll find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can follow myself or Patrick James Lynch. It's Patrick James Lynch.
0: All Just three. FYI. There's a lot of Patrick Lynch's out
1: there. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Shout out to all the committed LinkedIn users out there, just like me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am your host, Patrick. Patrick James Lynch.
1: And I'm your other host and Marriott specialist, Amy Borg. And
0: until next time, take self-care of yourself. We'll be back in a week. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye-bye.